She is usually with us on a Wednesday, but had a conflict. So Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher, family physician, joins us today, this afternoon here on Global News Radio. And regardless of the day, always good to speak with you, Dr. Gorfinkel. Good afternoon. Many thanks for having me back, Jeff. It's a pleasure. Okay, let's start with some uh, breaking news. And I don't know how much of a surprise this is, a doctor, uh, considering that several provinces were already doing it when it comes to booster shots. But we're learning this afternoon that Health Canada has authorized a booster dose of the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccine. Yes, it's not only that they authorized it, but they authorized it for everyone who's 18 and over. Now, this is some major news. Because ask yourself, what is Ontario now doing? Giving it to individuals 70 and over. So what's missing from this picture right now? NACI. The National Advisory Committee on Immunizations will have to give its recommendations on how it would do the rollouts, what it should say to the provinces and territories who then will have to decide for themselves, and Ontario is on that list. It actually surprises me. Are we going to be vaccinating healthy 20-year-olds with another dose of Pfizer? Question mark. I have tons of 50-year-olds in my practice with high-risk conditions biting at the bit to get that third dose. So what does this afternoon's uh, announcement by Health Canada mean? You're absolutely right about NACI and some uh, provinces still have to uh, make decisions regarding uh, booster shots uh, and how these doses should be administered. Uh, Do you expect... uh, Pressure is probably the wrong word here, but there will be pressure on provinces like Ontario and, and for NACI to approve this and come up with a, a plan. And if so, will it be a graduated plan, kind of as you're suggesting here, that uh, maybe there are some in the older age demographics that need the booster shot uh, quickly or more immediately than others? I'm hoping we'll see the booster shot program roll out exactly like the first doses rolled out, where the people who are at highest risk get the vaccine. Right now, we're seeing really strong, you know, rulings on on tight line, tight. It's got to be six months, almost to the day. Otherwise, the pharmacies won't give it. I have lots of patients who are just below that age of 70 and cannot get the shot. So what makes the most sense is give it to the people who need it the most and the first. And that's what I'm hoping to see from the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations. Remember, what they say is not binding. It's up to the individual province to decide. But I don't think I'm going to be sending healthy 20-year-olds for a third dose, for a booster shot anytime soon. I think what makes sense is we still have somewhat limited uh, limited vaccines. We can't assume that we have enough to go around for absolutely everybody. And we have to give them very thoughtfully. So why do I say that? Because if you take a look at data that came out of, this is from Kaiser Permanente. They actually followed some 3.4 million people. This is pretty good information. We know that six months after getting two doses of Pfizer, your immunity goes down to about 47%. You get that booster shot, boom, it's well above 90%. Now keep in mind, hospitalization and death are always kept down at 90% like even at the six-month point. But the problem is, is that when people have breakthrough infections, they become contagious to other people. And that includes children who, for the most part, still remain unvaccinated, those under 12. And they then, in turn, give it back. So it, it, it flies back and forth, you see. And, and every single case, of course, is yet another opportunity for a new variant of concern to be formed. 
All right, just a final question on this, and we'll move on. And again, if you're just joining us, breaking this afternoon, Health Canada has approved Pfizer for those 18 and over as a third option or option for a third shot, a booster, a shot. What do you think this means when it comes to fully vaccinated into the new year? If we go with this sort of graduated approach and give it to, uh, you know, those that are uh, compromised, immune compromised and older age demographics uh, first, we could end up with a bit of a mismatch, right? 20 somethings that have had two shots and those that are maybe 15 over with a three. And uh, what is then considered fully vaxxed? Is it two shots or three shots? Ultimately, I believe what will be considered fully vaxxed is a three-dose series. I think that's where we're headed. But the question is, how quickly are we going to be heading in that direction? You know, I, and personally, what makes the most sense is you give the shot to the people most likely to have severe outcomes. You absolutely, in a pandemic, you minimize the number of, of cases if possible, but of course, minimize the number of hospitalizations and deaths. We've seen again and again how easily our hospitals are overwhelmed. So getting people vaccinated who otherwise would go to hospital matters because it's not a one-size-fits-all. People's level of immunity and their susceptibility to severe disease really does change with age. It changes with chronic conditions. I'm singing that same old song again. And the fact is, it's not an even playing field when hospitalization is concerned. Look at pregnant women, high risk. Look at those over 65, even over 60, arguably, from the Israeli data. These are individuals who need to get that third dose and who are at the front of the line. Our indigenous communities, our frontline healthcare workers, like myself, I will add, you know, I have the potential to become a super spreader. And that's like no exaggeration. I really do. So it makes a lot of sense for when, you know, for, to absolutely minimize that if possible. Joined by vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Dr. Gorfinkel also want to talk about the land border crossing reopening yesterday. Last couple of days, we've been talking about this need for a PCR test. You've got to have one to get back into Canada. They're expensive. They are also considered the gold standard. And maybe let's start there. Uh, why are they considered the gold standard and why are they needed at the land border crossing? Well, the PCR testing works like a photocopier. So it can detect even small amounts of virus. So you take a swab from the nose or from the nasopharynx all the way back. Ideally, that's where it would be taken. But what happens is that even tiny amounts of virus gets photocopied by PCR technology. Now compare that to a moment, for a moment to the, to the rapid test. So the rapid tests do not have that photocopying effect. So if the virus is present in very low concentrations, Rapid testing doesn't pick it up. That's a serious problem. Now, the reason the government is saying, oh, my gosh, let's not just open the border wide just yet, is because if you look at the people who've been vaccinated, so we've got three out of four Canadians fully vaccinated now. But what's that number in the U.S.? It's more like three out of five. You know, just it's not it's under 60 percent of that population that's been vaccinated. So if we're opening our doors wide, and we've seen this happen in other countries, we literally invite the novel coronavirus in. And that can be a serious problem. So I think we've got to take it slow. We've got to make sure that what we do is thoughtful. And we've got to make sure we're waiting a few weeks in between to see the effects of that to keep ahead of the curve instead of always being reactive, proactive.
Okay, of course, a lot of people are uh, complaining they're very expensive, these tests. In some cases, upwards or close to $300. So if you're taking a family of four over the uh, land border, I mean, you're quickly looking at uh, close to roughly $1,000. And we have seen uh, reports today, Dr. Gorfinkel, that Canada may be reconsidering their use at the uh, land crossing. Could you see a time, uh, maybe once we've got some more data in a little more uh, time, that uh, the PCR test would not be required for the land crossing? You know, the PCR test, it's unbelievable. And I hate to say it, it's pure larceny. I, I, larceny is a strong word to use in this, but I'm going to put it out there. The t- cost of testing has become a major barrier. And I'm not just talking about, you know, when it comes to crossing the border. I'm talking about to my average Joe patient who just wants to know, is this COVID or not? Should they come to a doctor's office? Should they stay in isolation for how long? And what are they facing? Delays in getting tested, figuring out how to get that test, waiting for the test results. You know, I, I would love to see rapid antigen testing at scale. True, it has to be done in areas where case counts are high enough. But the fact of the matter is, this $300 of PCR testing is, is just, it's atrocious, and it should not be happening. All right, we got to take a break, but uh, we're back after we step aside here just quickly. More questions for vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who's with us this afternoon on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.